Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. How you doing? I'm all right. We've had St. Patrick's weekend here. St. Patrick's Day was yesterday. And now it's over. And there's a feeling of, well, this will happen again next year. And the year after, probably. And the year It'll after. It'll keep happening. It will, forever. Until such time as there is no world. That's the only... I saw a man at King's Cross Station dressed as a shamrock yesterday. Sounds like a difficult thing to dress as, a shamrock, but he made a very good fist of it. Fair play. It's just a giant leaf, isn't it? Really? Mm. I'm dressed as I, a leaf. There's nothing more Irish than leaves. That's, exactly. that's an old Irish saying, that. Uh, I suspect perhaps he wasn't Irish, this guy. Who knows? I feel like there are, there are a lot of people jumping on board the St. Patrick's Day bandwagon. This cultural uh, appropriation, I'm not sure we should stand for it, to be honest. Yeah, I think you can't. Happy about that in the least. Um, I I was in France this weekend. Yes, I saw you were in France. Uh, you were in Lille sorting out them for the uh, the Gervinho thing. So congratulations yes. on that. But I also saw a picture that you posted on Instagram of being in yeah. the zoo, and you said, "My spirit animal." And I looked at the picture for a long time, and I couldn't quite figure out what it was. My best guess was some kind of sand crab. It's an armadillo. Right. It's on my Instagram as well, Jay McNick, check it out. But it's an armadillo um, who has buried itself upside down <laughs> in the ground. I, I, I went to the zoo in Lille because, I'll be honest, there's not a huge amount to do in Lille. And it's a relatively small place to have a zoo. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll go and check it out. And it's that curious mix of sort of being 
slightly entertaining and slightly cruel, you know, seeing all these animals, uh, beautiful animals, but in the wrong environment. It's like seeing Arsenal in the Europa League. You know, <laughs> it's a kind of novelty for the people who get to see it, but, you know, you feel like it should be running free where it's happiest in the Champions League. And um, there was one pen in particular that was really odd where... Do you know what a tapir is? Yeah, kind of long-nosed, anteater-looking motherfucker. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a pig meets an anteater. And it was in an enclosure, but it was sharing that enclosure with something called a maned wolf. And you might want to Google that. I just had to Google it myself. And to find it, I wrote, wolf that looks like a fox. Oh, wow. Because that's exactly what it is. It's like a, it's like a fox on stilts. Yeah, and it's really tall. I mean, it must be, you know, easily waist height, you know, when it's on all fours. And it's in the pen with the tapir. And the tapir spends all day literally sort of running away from the maned wolf who sort of chases after it. Surreal. That is odd, isn't it? I mean, that seems a bit... Even for zoos, that seems a bit cruel. I mean, I don't think the maned wolf eats the tapir. I think it just sort of irritates it. Uh, maybe it's part of some sort of fitness programme for the tapir. Keep the tapir... Uh, yeah, keep the weight off. He's got to keep running away from this maned wolf. But I watched it for, it must have been 20 minutes, and it literally the, the, the wolf will just chase it a bit, then uh, the tapir will get a little bit of time on its own, sit down, gets chased again. I mean, it's like sort of bizarre playground flirting. But I've got a few questions about Leo and their decisions about what animal goes in with what. Yeah, OK, well, maybe we'll take that up in a different podcast. Sure. <laughs> Some on questions. the Patreon, we'll do yeah, that. Yeah, on the Patreon, yeah, the Leal Zoo uh, podcast. But, you know, from an Arsenal point of view, it's been a quiet weekend. There, there was no Arsenal, of course. But, James, mm -hmm. I think there was football this weekend. And before we get started, Everton beating Chelsea is actually good for us, not simply because it, it's it's providing us with some more uh, entertainment via the the Twitter hashtag that we'll get into now sure. in a second, but but literally, Chelsea being beaten is good news for us in our race for for the top four. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the football was pretty good to us this weekend. Um, not just Chelsea, obviously United lost as well, which uh, I, I know we might like them to have cup fixtures on the horizon, but it's always good to see their momentum mm. slowed and. Yeah, look, Chelsea lost at Everton. I don't think either of us predicted that. Uh, so, you know, always a nice surprise. I don't think so. Actually, I'll have to go back and check out our predictions. I'm having a look now. We, I predicted a draw, in fairness to me, but you predicted a Chelsea win. Wow, OK. I'm so happy to be wrong. Yeah, so I think happy everyone's to be sort wrong. of doing worse than we thought they would, actually, at this point. So mm. that's quite nice, apart from Arsenal. And... Um, I think, uh, yes, we've still got to play Everton, though, so there is that to take into consideration. Yeah, but what, one of the things we talked about with Everton was their, their sort of inconsistency, where one week they look really good, and yeah. then the next week they don't look that good. So I, I, I'm sort of glad they've beaten Chelsea, because it might mean they have one of their weird off weeks with, uh, with Arsenal when we play them. So fingers crossed. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. It's not too far away, is it? It's... Uh... It's after the Newcastle game that we play them, the 7th. So yeah. I'd like it to be a bit further into the season, you know, because they're so ensconced in mid-table that I reckon by May they'll have completely signed off. But it comes a little bit early in that regard. But hopefully that was their good performance. And yes, fantastic to see the Chelsea fans angry again. Yes, they have been pounding that Sarri out hashtag 
oh. like crazy. For example... They must have copied and pasted it. To they be must, they must have. Happened. We're going to have to go through a few. This is a great one. It starts like this. He says, well, this is how we going to do this. Fuck Sari. Fuck Jorginho. Fuck Chelsea staff as a motherfucking Italian cartel. And if you want to be down with Sari Ball, then fuck you too. I repeat... Fuck you too. All you motherfuckers. Fuck you too. Hashtag sorry out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. I mean, that is, that's hard to beat. I think, uh, yeah, that, that, that Nick English pointed that one out to me and it is a brilliant one, but there's some other good ones out there. This one is from uh, Ab Briggs, who's a Chelsea fan. The tobacco Sarri is taking is disturbing him. <laughs> Someone should get him coke, rather. Guy can't, <laughs> guy can't think straight. Making same mistake every week, poor tactically. Hashtag Sarri out. Wow, okay, I like that. Someone should get him coke, rather. That's a really nice yeah. turn of phrase. Uh, I mean, there's no coke at all in Napoli, so I don't know what anyone's talking about yeah, there. Yeah, I don't know what they're possibly referring to. Uh, let me see, what else have we got here? We've got another one here. I, I don't want to read out the names so much just in case people go looking after them, but I like this one. Fair play. I've never seen Chelsea play so clueless like under Sarri. Georgine Ho is just a white Bakayoko. Higuain runs like a pregnant woman. Pedro was faster than the ball. Even our captain is playing like Ashley Young. Cry emoji, cry emoji, cry emoji, cry emoji. Hashtag Sarri out. <laughs> That's got some incredibly descriptive terms in it. Yeah. Who is it? George? Is it Georgine Ho? Georgine like Ho. A pregnant because, woman. No, no, no. Uh, Georgine Ho is just a white back of Yoko, but Higuain, of Higuain runs Higuain. like a pregnant woman. Higuain runs like pregnant woman. <laughs> um, the guy, you know, the guy who does the sort of uh, video blogs on Chelsea. Oh, yeah, uh, that guy. The, the, the angry Roman. He's the actor. Happy. The actor. Yes. Well, his, I did like his tweet, though, which was the Chelsea players played the second half as if they were hypnotised to Pokemon Jigglypuff's tunes. <laughs> Spineless, embarrassing performance. Um, yeah, so I like that. That's worth checking out. And also, uh, what was this one? We will wake. We will one day wake up and there will be no more Marcus Alonso. No more hashtag Sarri out. No more Jorginho. Very passionless, slow, aimless. What's the worst name you can call anyone? Apply it on this useless three. <laughs> I love the way they don't really make any sense. I like, yeah. you know, the guy, he must have been sitting there fuming, sitting at his keyboard, like, going, what is, how can I get my point across in the most exact and succinct way possible? And they come out with that kind of stuff. Although this guy, I think, uh, gets it right. He says, this is quite good. If you don't have the ingredients to make spaghetti bolognese, you don't try and make spaghetti bolognese. Hashtag square pegs round holes. Hashtag Sari out. The man has a point. You know, mm. Sari's trying to make bolognese and all he's got is a side of bacon and an apple. Yeah, exactly. There's this one as well. Uh, you know, you know the guy, you know the kind of guy who's like, well, I'm glad to be right even though it's terrible for what's going on. He says, get the fuck out of Chelsea! To think for over seven months... I have put up with trolls saying Sari is a good manager. Knew I was right. Proven correct. Hashtag Sari out. 
<laughs> Such a superior tone. He's like, oh, I'm sick of being right, to be honest with you. Absolutely furious about the whole thing. Uh, I, well, look, I mean... I've got I'm one more. I've got one oh, more great. if I can. I, I'm, oh, please. This is, this is the saddest one of all. The saddest one of, of all time. And it's kind of a, a plea to the universe or... He just wants to make it known how he's feeling. Desperate, lonely, sad about his football team. And he says, To whom it may concern. From today, I cease to be a Chelsea fan until Sarri is sacked. Hashtag Sarri out. I'm done. Oh, a single <laughs> tear rolls down my cheek. It is great watching this unfold. I mean, I know, obviously, you know, we've had our own issues with people being upset with the manager, but it does feel like maybe a lot of this is a consequence of what happens when you when you have a lot of success very quickly and your fan base swells uh, very swiftly based on that and it's not sustainable. It does feel like there's a lot of sort of chickens coming home to roost. Yeah, but you know what as well? I think, you know, people have said um, over the years that, you know, having a a policy where managers don't get quite as much time as they have done at Arsenal, for example, where we had all yeah. the faith and loyalty in Arsene Wenger for many years. And people said, that's a good thing. And then people would say, well, you know, look at what Chelsea have done. You know, they've switched their manager around quite often. They've sacked managers who've had success and everything else. Uh, and it has brought them trophies. And, you know, there's no one right way to do things. But I think when you do operate like that, you, you probably have a a level of patience that's far less than it would be otherwise. Like if the culture of the club is to change the manager every time things go a bit wrong, then surely that plays into how you view a manager as a fan. It's like, Ooh. oh, fuck it, no. Nah, this guy, no, get rid, get rid. We just get the next guy in. Next guy, if he doesn't work, we just get another guy in until somebody who comes in actually wins something. So I do wonder if that informs the way that you're willing to view the work of, of a manager. I think that's a really good point, but I'm sure there are more sane Chelsea fans out there who must just see that this is a repeating pattern, that they are mm. burning through managers at such rapid speed and they you know, they can't continue to do that, surely. Yeah. Uh, I know that they've kind of experienced success from that policy in the past, but I don't know, it feels like it's kind of reached breaking point and they kind of need to rip it up and start again or, heavens forbid, give the guy a bit more time. Mm. Um, I'd be interested to see what they do, actually, because Abramovich isn't, you know, as on top of proceedings as he once was. So maybe they'll be a bit more laissez-faire about the whole thing. I must say, Chelsea are obviously a club with a tradition of dispensing with managers quickly, but Manchester United, we all know, pride themselves, you know, on their their willingness to give a manager time and faith and support. So I was delighted to see hashtag Ole out making an appearance. <laughs> no way, really. I, yeah, I think... <laughs> Having a hashtag to get a manager out before he's even really got the job is pretty good going. And there were some great ones out there. I'll just run through a few quickly. Uh, Norwegian twat has to go now. <laughs> I'm afraid his purple patch is over. Um, enough is enough. Hashtag Ole out. Which I enjoy. It's like they've lost um, two games. Is that yeah. it? Uh, Ole is unable to make tough decisions by taking off some players when they're having a bad game. This is what is costing us lately. Hashtag Ole out. Uh, and then I like this one. Solskjaer is not managing us. Good God. 
Did you watch last night? No passion, dedication, no fight. He just stood there, no idea what to do. Meanwhile, City and the Scousers feasts on success. Not my manager. Hashtag Ole out. Oh my goodness. Meanwhile, City and the Scousers feasts on success. Meanwhile, City and the Scousers feasts on the success that we don't have. <laughs> we want it. They are extraordinary people. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, look, football, uh, it might be weird and strange, but there's always an element of it that will entertain us. And uh, Mm. those things will entertain us. Probably not as entertaining when it happens happens to us. Are we going to have to do it? If we go through like a three or four game uh, uh, streak where we don't play particularly well and there's a load of Emery out tweets. Are we going to have to do them for the sake of balance? Or should we just ignore those people? And say, I think we just ignore it, it yeah. <laughs> just pretend that we're above it, that it doesn't happen. Here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if it's a six-month spell of Emery out, then maybe maybe we'll get on board. But. I think, you know, that's probably what... We had to put up with our fair share of uh, having our, a hashtag with the previous manager's name out. So yeah. I think we're probably just relishing the, the shoe being on the other foot. Exactly. Point. We've done our time with that and now we feast on the successes of other clubs' <laughs> hashtags. It's really <laughs> delicious, I must say. Delicious fare on a Monday morning and thank you to Manchester United and Chelsea fans for providing us with that content, if nothing else. Indeed, um, indeed. What, what else to discuss? We did the last podcast just prior to the Europa League draw. We did. So uh, I haven't spoken to you to get your reaction to that draw. I think you said, didn't you, that you'd quite fancied a Villarreal in the semi tie and I think that's on as far as I understand. That is on if we beat Napoli in the quarterfinal and Villarreal beat Valencia in their quarterfinal then we would face them in the in the semi-final. I mean there was obviously a uh, a permutation whereby Napoli could knock out Chelsea and we could knock or somebody else could knock out Napoli and we'd have an easy yeah. run it's it's not that I mean it could well be and it's shaping up to possibly be uh, a Chelsea Arsenal final which I have to say I would not like I I wouldn't like it at all Well go on why I just feel like okay it would be great to win it but there's something worse about losing a European final to another English club I think yeah. That I just, you know, I would kind of be able to compartmentalize a defeat to Frankfurt or, you know, whoever is in that other side of the draw much more than I would be able to to when it comes to, to Chelsea. Um, you know, I think there's something exciting about playing European football because you're playing teams you don't play all the time. And when you've, I've, I think we said it the other day, you know, I don't like it when we play another English club in Europe, you know the times that we face Manchester United in the Champions League, Liverpool in the in the Champions League. Um, you know they haven't been particularly enjoyable occasions for us, and I just think there's a sense of familiarity which I don't really enjoy. I also feel like probably all these Sarri out tweets are going to come back and bite us in the arse if we have to play Chelsea in a final. So I'm hoping mm. somebody. Uh, can inflict some damage on Chelsea in the quarterfinals or the semi-final, whatever it might be. Of course, we have to get beyond Napoli. My reaction to that is it's difficult, it's a tough game, but I really like the idea of it as a fixture and as a tie, you know, as a European night, uh, a home and away leg against a, a big Italian club who are doing very well in Serie A, they're second in Serie A. I know Juventus are running away with it and everything else, but... Mm. 
you know, uh, an exciting proper, it feels like a proper European tie. And, you know, after some of the stuff we've had this season, uh, you know, when you've got to play Karabag and Vorskla and Bate Borisov, and even to a lesser extent, Ren, I think there was, you know, stuff to, to enjoy and to like about what we did against Ren. I think having this big European night on the horizon is great. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I mean, I share your suspicion that we might be looking, if we reach the final at Chelsea as our opponent, they've got on their half of the draw, Slavia Prague in the quarters, Mm. and then one of Benfica and Eintracht Frankfurt in the semi. I mean, look, it's definitely the more straightforward side of the draw. Uh, But if we get to that final and it is against Chelsea and we've already secured Champions League qualification, I think I can sort of cope with it. If we haven't, and it comes down to that one game, oh. uh, that would be absolutely unbearable viewing. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I would quite get through that 90 minutes. So 120 minutes, I'll go to extra time for sure. Yeah, Penalty shootouts, I guess, yeah. Hopefully they could bring John Terry on to slip for the last one. Imagine that, if that was Petr Cech's final involvement as a footballer, a penalty shootout against Chelsea. Uh, oh. Quite the story. Yeah. It would, uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, anyway, and, and I'm not sure how much I'd fancy it, but anyway, we'll see, we'll touch it, we'll see where we get there. Um, but Napoli, yeah, look, I think it's about as tough as it could have been at this point, but I suppose part of me thinks, you know, if we if we beat them and we go through, we'll really fancy ourselves in the competition. I think it will give us a real fillip. And if we don't, we've got a very winnable run of Premier League fixtures that we can focus on. Um so I sort of think it's fine, really. And it should be a great night at the Emirates. You'd think it will feel like a kind of proper European tie. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we get to, to hook up again with our buddy David Ospina, who uh, took a whack to the head last night playing for Napoli against Udinese. But thankfully, he's, uh, he's A-OK, apparently. Um, yeah, a bit worrying when he went down. Um, and look, it's, you know, it's Carlo Ancelotti against Unai Emery. Uh, Napoli have some very good players. We've got some very good players. And, you know, we've... Um, I think we've got a good chance against them. I'm not saying it'll be easy or, or anything like it, but I just think as an occasion, you know, in a season where kind of the chase for the top four is is our trophy in a way, you know, the more exciting nights we have, the better. And I think you can only get so enthusiastic about games against teams uh, or games uh, against teams like Ren and Bate Borisov, you know, mm-hmm. um, the opposition matters when it comes to creating an occasion and, and an atmosphere and, and all that kind of stuff as well. So I'm well on board, well on board with this. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it takes us. And obviously there are fixtures in between or the games uh, come between fixtures in the Premier League where, you know, we've got a, a, a lot to do there as well. It's Newcastle, yeah, it's isn't it? Week. Then it's... Uh, it's it's Watford, Watford. Away, it's yeah. Watford away in between the two games, and then when we come back from Napoli, it's uh, Crystal Palace, which is currently scheduled for the Saturday, but it's likely to be the Sunday, uh, April twenty first. I mean, that's a home game, so I'm mm. less worried about that. But you know, going to uh, Watford and Napoli in the space of four days. Might well, look, be I mean, it's Everton away first, so it's Everton at Goodison Park. Then we've got Napoli at home. Then we're away to Watford. Then we're away to Napoli and Crystal Palace at home. So, you know, it's uh, the two away fixtures uh, in the Premier League uh, sandwiched or, or with the home tie sandwich between them are, 
are going to be very interesting because, you know, our away record has not been great. So, um, well, hopefully we can pick up a win at Al Nasser Dubai SC uh, on Tuesday to give us some confidence on, on the road. Um, what do you make of the way round the ties are? Because there's always seems to be this bizarre thing now where the draw isn't final with UEFA and there's this sort of toing and froing and rearranging of the fixtures. Yeah. Do you think there's any advantage or disadvantage to being at home first? Um, I don't really care. Maybe there is. Maybe some people can work it out. I'm sure somebody's worked out statistically that if you're drawn at home first in a knockout tie in a European mm. competition, you've got 61% chance of qualifying, whereas it's you know 39% if you're if you're drawn away first. I don't know. I mean, personally, I don't give a fuck. Uh, I kind of like the idea of us having the away goals rule to our advantage in a way in the second leg where our goals could really matter, you know, that way. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously a lot depends what happens in the first leg and if Napoli score a goal and and what we've got to contend with. But really, I don't care. I don't care what order the games come in. No, me neither. I actually think, given that our home form is so good, I quite like the idea of being home first. I think it might give us a bit of a, a platform. You know, and something mm. to take away with us and mean that we go into that tricky away fixture with a bit more confidence. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all right with it uh, the way around that it is. I think it's going to be tough, but we have uh, the chances are we'd have to beat someone good eventually to win this competition. So, sure, sure, might as well be now. Plus, as well, you know, we we would then if we, if we were away first, we'd be away at Everton, away in Napoli, away at exactly. Watford. And I think in terms of just how you perceive those fixtures and, and how you prepare for them, it could feel a bit more daunting in a way. Our home record is very good. And just to have that game at home maybe gives us not a margin for error or a safety net or anything like that. But uh, I, I think it might be useful in that regard. So look, that's to come in April. Um, the other thing I suppose we should chat about a bit is the fact that our search for a technical director goes on yes. as Munchi has rejoined Sevilla. He's going to be um, presented today. They've had a reshuffle there. They sacked their manager. The guy who was the sporting director has taken over as manager, I think, until the end of the season. And they brought back Ian Monchi to be the, the sporting director. What we know is that he was in contact with Arsenal. There was an offer from Arsenal, a three-year contract on the table. Widely expected that he would take that up. And in recent days, it seems that the... The interest from Sevilla, it happened quickly and was concluded quickly. Mm. So that's a bit, maybe maybe it reflects on us and how we were trying to get things done. Maybe we thought we had more time. Maybe it was one of those things where we thought we could negotiate with the guy and keep the negotiations going, basically because, you know, we were the job that was on offer to him. Uh, and then when Sevilla became available and they said, here, come on back, he pretty much jumped at the chance. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how the circumstances shift? You know, Roma went out the Champions League and that led to a bit of a cull there and Monchi left and suddenly he was available to come earlier. Then Sevilla go out the Europa League and it's all changed there and he ends up there. Mm. You know, we, we sort of had a window in which to take advantage of the situation. We didn't. And he's gone back to the club that he obviously has a great deal of affection for uh, and a huge affinity with. To an extent, you sort of can't really argue with that I think there is talk in Italy and Spain as well that maybe the pressure uh, that he was under at Roma and the scrutiny of being at a really 
big club uh, didn't necessarily suit him and that maybe he felt more comfortable going back to an environment like Sevilla. Mm. Um, if that's the case, then I'm not necessarily sure he would have been the right man for Arsenal anyway, you know, because I think the scrutiny he'd be under here is significant. But it is a blow because what we're really looking for from this guy is, you know, someone who can work within the setup that we have. And uh, maybe it's being a bit simplistic and a bit reductive to look at the fact that Unai Emery's there and they've got this great relationship and the fact that Raul Sané is the head of football and he's a Spanish speaker too and think, well, that sort of makes sense. But it did seem like it might make sense. Um, and now it's really, it's anybody's guess where they go from here, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we can't underestimate the attraction for Monchi of going back to Sevilla. You know, if we are going to be critical, and maybe there are reasons to be critical about you know, dilly-dallying or not getting the deal done when it was there for it to be done, the fact is that he was a Sevilla player. He spent his entire playing career at Sevilla, and also he was in, a, in a, an administrative role there. He was their sporting director, director of football for many years as well. So this is sort of like you or I, or any Arsenal fan being given the chance to go back to Arsenal, to the club you've spent your entire life at and the club you probably support. So I can understand why, if he's given the choice between those two things, he might go with with Sevilla, or obviously has gone with Sevilla. I just wonder if we should have let it get to the point, if he was the guy that we really wanted and we'd offered him the job, that's, that's a certainty. We had offered him the job, that we let it get to a point where he had a decision to make, you know? Yes. And I also think, you know, while all those reasons for going to Sevilla are sort of understandable, I think we're right. We're within our rights to be a little bit concerned, maybe, that for whatever reason Sven Mislintat hasn't wanted to work in this setup. And now Monchi, for whatever reason, mm. doesn't necessarily want to. You know, we are a big club in, you know, a very lucrative league. And it's uh, a little bit concerning, maybe, that people aren't kind of you know, jumping at the chance. Um, yeah, and, and I'll be interested to see the, the names that we hear now because Monchi was the name, wasn't it? And I yeah. know the press, you know, don't get hold of everything, but I think the reason that his was the one that was continually linked with the position is simply that uh, he was the outstanding and obvious candidate. And yeah. now that he's slipped through our clutches, they need to uncover somebody else. Sure, and look, I, I'm not... Uh... What's the word here? I'm not wedded to the idea of Munchie. It wasn't like uh, Munchie's the only guy who could do this job or anything like it. There's got to be other candidates out there. So I'm not necessarily unhappy that he isn't going to be the guy. But what slightly concerns me is the fact that if he was the guy that we wanted and we were going to make an appointment initially in the summer... And then because he left for Roma, there was talk about him coming in and starting uh, at the beginning of April... Where do we go from here? Because it's not um, it's not a role that we can ignore. This is the technical director, somebody who's going to be basically heading up our recruitment uh, department. And what we might have now in the short term is Raul Sanyehi and maybe Unai Emery, uh, along with the various scouts at Arsenal, putting together the, the summer's transfer business. And I think what we enjoyed about the idea of Mislintat, Sanyehi and Gazidis, uh, when that was touted as our triumvirate of, of football, you know, this is how it was going to run. Gazidis is going to be the CEO. Uh, uh, Mislintat is going to identify the talent and, and do a lot of the recruitment. Sanyehi was there to, to make sure that the, the deals got done. You know, it all seemed to make a lot of sense. 
you know, as a as a as a way of working. Now we have this kind of job share CEO thing with uh, Raul and Vinay. Um, there is no technical director as yet. I don't think there's been a new uh, an appointment to a head of scouting or anything like that. And it's all a bit up in the air. So that's what concerns me. Not so much Manchi going to Sevilla or going anywhere else or not coming to us. It's the fact that we have this massive gap in our setup right now. And I think that's got to be addressed sooner rather than later. And it's all time, isn't it? It's all eating into our, our summer allotted time essentially and the fact that we've been yeah sort of going down the munchy avenue and uh, not come up with the result we wanted <laughs> where do you Sorry. live i live on number, number 27 munchy avenue. munchy avenue uh and now we've got now we've got to retreat back up munchy avenue and go down a different one over so, mars yeah. boulevard <laughs> exactly uh and i must say actually i was quite i find it odd there was a bit of a sort of uh backlash yesterday after when munchy was kind of announced at severe i saw a lot of arsenal fans not a lot of Sam Arsenal fans saying things like, why are fans so interested in the appointment of a backroom, you know, staff member anyway? You know, we didn't care about this for years. Why do we care about someone being appointed in a to the board? And, and I think that's an odd stance to take because this is not someone who has been hired as a window cleaner, you know, or like someone who's <laughs> going to do the filing. He's going to be buying the players. I mean, that's what our manager did. For, for the entire history of this club until about two years ago. Like, I, I think it is a really important role. Of um, course, yeah. And maybe even a role that has sort of more longevity to it than the head coach role, in theory. You know, if, if they're kind of that bought in on the sort of technical ideas of the club. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I do completely understand people's interest in it and wanting to see someone with some pedigree appointed. And I know that it's very difficult to replicate success in in this job but i think you know you want to try and go for it you don't want to hire a guy who's made exclusively bad signings do you know what i mean that's true that's true you do need some <laughs> record of, of of success along the way yeah no i i totally agree with you i don't understand why there's this antipathy towards whoever disappointment might be like i get okay you don't care about munchie or you don't know who munchie is or you know you don't give a fuck about munchie fine that's absolutely fine but you know how interested are people in transfers on a scale of one to 10? And I would 11. suggest 11. Yeah, exactly. You know, when it comes to transfer business, people are fucking into it. They, they, they have opinions on signings, on who we should sign, on when we should sign them, on the positions we need to sign in. So a person who's going to play a key role in that going forward, uh, as you say, perhaps beyond the lifetime of this manager or another manager, it feels to me like a very, very, very important appointment to make. And going along and chugging along as we are without that kind of person in situ seems like not great business or not a great way to to run things. You know, Mislintat left on the 8th of February. They knew for quite a while before that, that he was going to be going. And as yet, there hasn't been an appointment. We've maybe come close to, to appointing Manchi. It's now gone the other way, and we've got to go back to the drawing board. But, you know, let's not play down the importance of this role and the job that that person has to do. And the later it takes place, this appointment, the more difficult it's going to be for that guy to, to do a good job. Because what we're going to say is this summer... Okay, well, look, he only came in 
in April or May and he didn't really have time to prepare. And then we get to January and we're not going to make any January signings because, well, we don't like January signings. And then next summer, okay, next summer is when he's had the time to really, really plan. And I don't think we can kick the can that far down the road. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Overmars Boulevard. Do you think that link is kind of a a lazy one because of his affinity with Arsenal? Or do you think there's actually some mileage in that? I don't know. I mean, I guess because he's doing a similar kind of job at Ajax, he has a connection mm-hmm. to Arsenal. He has been mentioned, not just recently, but in the past, as somebody who who could do that job or who is a potential candidate for that job. Um, if I just go back here, I'm going to have a look here on Arsblog News. because yeah, I, I feel like he was almost linked with the job sort of Raoul ended up taking essentially yeah hang on uh, uh, so a ago. report from October 2017 um, says that Overmars uh, will leave his post with Ajax at the end of the season and, and has reached an agreement to come back to London with Arsenal now it came from a fairly dubious source I think it was Tuto Mercado Webb so you know you take it all with a, with a pinch of salt but the, the, the connection goes back that far you know, so we're talking maybe 18 months, two years where his name has been mentioned as a potential candidate. Somebody else who I heard might be a potential candidate is Steve Morrow, um, who, who would be an internal appointment. I, I'm not 100 percent sure how how that will go or if that's realistic. Um, I think from what I understand that Steve Morrow was one of the main candidates to take over as academy manager. And then it was given to Per Mertesacker. Right. So he was kind of overlooked for that role. And, you know, whether that has any impact on how he's viewed for for this role, I'm not quite sure. But he's an internal name. We've got Franny Kajigao, Kajigao, Kajigugu. He, Mm -hmm. you know, he's in there and is potentially going to be the head of scouting, but maybe not the technical director. And it just feels to me like there's an important part of the, of the, structural puzzle missing and we've got to get it sorted sooner rather than later yeah and Overmars is an interesting one because when he was first linked with Arsenal uh, I think we heard quite a lot from Ajax fans who weren't Mm. particularly happy with the job that he was doing there I know Ajax is sort of flavour of the month at the moment because they're uh, Champions League campaign but that feels maybe more like something that should be credited to their academy than maybe what Overmars has been doing and it's also worth pointing out they do trail PSV in the in the Eredivisie and I don't think they've won the league for about five years or something like wow, that wow so, really yeah I, I think so uh, I might have to check that I'll uh, do it while you're talking yeah so I feel like I think it was 2013-14 that they last won the Mm. Uh, the area to visit. I think I think they've won a trophy for quite a few years. So for a club of Ajax's size in Holland, it's not the most convincing mm. uh, set of set of qualifications from Overmars. Um, Steve Morrow is interesting. I mean, is uh, he looks a bit like Monchi? Do you think that's part of it? They were like, <laughs> we need a guy who <laughs> we need a bald physically dude. resembles him. Yeah, we need a baldy um, guy. Quick. I, I think he's the head of scouting for the under 23s or something like that for the youth setup currently mm. uh, so you can see a kind of progression there, there yeah yeah a natural progression but um as ever i think internal appointments never really excite the fan base do they but uh i don't think that's necessarily a reason that they wouldn't work out um no i mean that's yeah. not that's also not a reason 
to not make an appointment. If you think he's the right guy, it doesn't matter exactly. where he comes from. Um, I tell and you, he's another certainly name. Got the affinity with Arsenal. Another name that did the rounds a little bit was um, Brian McDermott. Oh, really? The former, former Reading, Reading Yeah, and former Arsenal yeah. player as well. And he did do... He was a scout for us. Um, so, I don't know what he's doing at the moment, so... No, that's interesting. Uh, he returned to Reading in December 2015, was sacked in May 2016, mm. hasn't been appointed as a manager anywhere since then, so I can only assume he's probably back doing scouting work. Uh Maybe for Arsenal or maybe elsewhere. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Well, look, it's one of those that we're going to just have to bide our time and wait and see. And no doubt there'll be some names mentioned. Um, I think, you know, given the fact that this was Sanyehi's first big decision or big appointment in the wake of the Mislintat, uh, the the coup de Mislintat, if you like, uh, which saw Sven leave, I think it's left him with a little bit of egg on his face. So I'm curious to see how he reacts and how quickly he reacts because, you know, the perception of the job that you're doing, you know, is one thing. If people have trust and faith in you based on the decisions that you make, um, I think he'll be keen to show that there's something happening and something happening soon. So um, Mm. we'll wait and see, yeah? We'll wait and see indeed. All right. We are going to take a quick break here. We will be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Right, there we go. Okay, cool. Um, did you did you get that email from that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he said that he had sent it to you as well. Fuck. Um, I, know, I know. I mean, if if what if what he's saying and that is um, sorry, I'm just getting if what he's saying is true, then it's yeah. fucking it's mental. There's oh, going to be I mean, I, go on. No, I was going to say he's not the first person I've heard it from. So I think. You know, there's no, well, no smoke without fire, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, it, I, I just worry, you know, sometimes you get information uh, from him and it can be spot on. Other times I just feel like he could be, I don't know, trying to work some kind of agenda or something. You know, you've got yeah. to question the the bona fides a little bit. Like, if you put that out there, if you put that out there or, or hinted to it or even alluded to it, you know, who does it come back on? And well, that's... It. Yeah. The shit would hit the fan. Fucking... And that, I mean, it's one of those that you sort of have to sit on, really, and see if somebody picks up on yeah. it. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask around and just see if somebody else has heard it because, you know, if they have, then maybe it gives it a bit more credence. But um, if yeah. not, I'm you know, there's no way I'm... No way I'm touching that. I Listen, wouldn't touch it. No, yeah, don't yeah. touch it at the bottom. <laughs> don't touch it. Right. Listen, I'm just going to uh, nip off for a leak. I'll be back in a sec, all right? Okay. All right. See Of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the, te- the, oh, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth. Red lorry, yellow lorry, red lorry, yellow lorry. Red lorry, yellow lorry. East, what is it? E- East 5 4, four five, five. 
East 5 4. 4 for 5. What are you doing? Uh, just um, <laughs> staying on top of things, don't worry about it. All right, okay. Okay. Um, Everything all right? Yes, it was fine. Thanks. Yeah. Textbook. Everything worked perfectly. Oh, that that's was good. good. It was you have good. to check. It's worth checking. Yeah, it is all right. It is. Right. Questions. Okay. Let's do it, will we? Let's do it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Arsblog, and also on the Patreon members Discord server, our chat server, private chat server, which uh, you have access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And we've got a special channel there in which you can ask questions. And I'm going to take the first question from there, James. Mm. It comes from our pod one. And he says, can you and James please talk about your favorite line or lines from the Wojciech Szczesny interview in which he in which he pleasure in which he talked about his uh, former teammates? Uh, Yes, with pleasure. I loved that interview. I thought it was great to see and rare to see a player who's still playing speak with so much candor about uh, some guys who are still playing and people who you know spent his years at Arsenal with it's mm. just fantastic and really insightful I mean obviously it's sort of funny and it's kind of light hearted mm. in it's nature but it's also incredibly insightful and I think gives you a little bit of a look into that sort of yeah. dressing room culture so yeah it was, it was great I mean some some incredible 
lines. I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm actually well, looking back at it now. I, I liked uh, I liked the Bentner one. And he says, yeah. one of the most intelligent guys I played with. You see Nick, well-organized, neat, in form, and it seems everything is going great for him. The next day you open a newspaper and read, drunk Bentner driving the wrong way, and you're like, what the fuck? I don't know. He's a guy with two personalities, the most confident guy I played with. And I think people would say, yes, they could see that with Bentner, the, the confidence and the way that he, mm. you know, he, he always had a, a very strong belief in his own ability. But I don't suppose people would have thought too much about the the intelligent side. Like if he's saying he's one of the most intelligent guys he played with, and let's remember, you know, that, that uh, Chesney has played with uh, Arteta, he's played with Mertesacker, you know, he's played with some smart guys uh, down the years at Arsenal. Um, that's not something people would have thought too much because, you know, he does do stuff like get drunk and try and have sex with taxis. Yeah, but, you know, Van Gogh cut, cut his ear off. Do you know what I mean? The great artists, the, the mm. real geniuses throughout history have done some really... They've got the self-destructive stuff. thing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that he has that kind of streak in his... But, I, yeah, I agree. I found that sort of surprising to hear that he thought of Bentner as such an, an intelligent guy. I really liked his mm. line on Arshavin, which was so succinct, where he just said... He said, hilarious guy is the funniest laugh ever. The season he joined us, we played lots of small games in training and we were like, wow, mm. we are going to win the league. We didn't. We didn't. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I completely empathise with that because when he first arrived, I really thought, wow, Arsenal have got sort of, you know, a Ronaldo-level talent here. He was outstanding at the start. And mm. it, this is before Ronaldo was as good as he is now, but um, it didn't really uh, transpire. Uh, what else? I liked what you said about Podolski, about when he used to shoot at him in training, he would just <laughs> duck out the way. <laughs> that was good. And, I, you know, he's got a lot of love for Santi Cazorla, as everybody has. Yeah. Um, I, I liked, the, you know, after the first training session, and he says, after training, the guys gave Arsene Wenger a round of applause for signing Santi Cazorla. Which yeah. uh, which says a lot. He says he's slow, he's small, but one of the best I've played with. An unbelievable mind and technique. Um, and you know, when a footballer looks at another footballer and thinks, oh my God, he's so good. That's, yeah. that's really something as well. It's, um, what about a uh, recipient of... Uh Recipient of Emirates Stadium standing ovation, Alex Clare. That was a surprising revelation about him. He said he could have achieved more in football. He still made a great career, but he liked to drink. I mean, he didn't pour any punches there, Chesney. No, it's true. And I suppose people would throw it back and say, you know, Chesney liked to smoke and that didn't work out that well for him. But yeah, he, yeah. he liked to drink. And I, I, I like the one on Nasri as well. He always thought he was some kind of gangster. Everyone has this guy at school who had strong and big friends and it made him think he's cool. Which I thought yeah. was quite damning. Um, that is quite damning. But that reminded me then of that. Um, that reminded me that uh, of that Gallus uh, story. Uh, not that I'm necessarily a, a big fan of William Gallus, um, but he had a run in with with Nasri, um, and what it was was uh, Nasri's friends uh, were after him with a with tasers, um, and his po- his policeman cousin told him not to go into wherever he was going to go into uh, because Nasri's crew were in there waiting with a bag full of tasers to get William Gallas, which is astonishing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he did play for Marseille and Marseille is a place with, you know, links to all sorts of 
folk, dodgy folk. So <laughs> who knows? But mm. I, 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 yeah, I really liked the interview, and I it was one of those things that sort of made me slightly lament Chesney's departure because yes. it just feels like a proper Arsenal guy. Yeah. Um, what I would say in that is that in terms of a goalkeeper, I actually think stylistically, Bern Leno does remind me of Chesney quite a lot. Um, and I think just body type and stuff like that as well. I think he's a little bit reminiscent of him as a mm. player, but as a character, I, I do miss Chesney. I yeah, me too. Me too. Football can be quite bland and you can understand why it has to happen and players are media trained and everything else. But as a character, I always enjoyed uh, Wojciech Chesney. So, um, yeah. There you go. We I'll, be, made our I'll bed. be smoking a cigarette in the shower in his honour uh, <laughs> later today. Uh, shall we have a question? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be good, wouldn't it, if I had one ready? OK, this one is from Twitter. It's from at AFC Met. And Met asks, after the start he had this season, what have you made of Reese Nelson's campaign and what should we do with him next season? I think... When he had that great start and everyone was saying, we've got to bring him back, bring him back straight away. He's doing brilliant stuff for for Hoffenheim. We've got to bring mm. him back. He's just what we need. Uh, I, I, I thought, look, come on. This is why he's gone out on loan, because he's got to learn about the game. And I think he is learning about the game, um, that it's got ups and downs and that consistency is not an easy thing to produce. Uh, I, I think throughout the, the season, the Hoffenheim manager has refused point blank to get carried away with what Reese Nelson has done and has always attempted to keep his feet firmly on the ground. Mm. Um, he was left out of the squad the other week for disciplinary reasons. I think he called it an educational measure. And he's still only, what age is Reese Nelson? 18, 19? Uh, I'll just Google it here. He is 19, so he'll be 20 in December. Still very young. Was always going to have some ups and downs. Personally, I think um, this season was about getting him experience. And I think when you look at the players who are going to be leaving the club this summer, Danny Welbeck's going to go. Aaron Ramsey's going to go. You can see how he could fit back into life at Arsenal. So I, I think... We look at this season as a a learning experience for him and we bring him back in and we try and integrate him into our first team squad, remembering that he is still very young. He's still going to be 19. And, you know, let's see where he goes. Just don't don't put too much on him at that age. I think when he scored those goals early on in his loan spell, everyone was like, oh, he's the best. This is why. Why did we even let him go? And I think the second part of his loan spell has proved why. That's why you let him go and let him develop yeah. and let him let him go through these experiences, which hopefully will make him a, a, a more rounded player and a, a more rounded person. And we can benefit from those. Yeah, he's, he's only made five starts in the Bundesliga this season, 13 uh, substitute appearances, another mm. six. Uh, substitute appearances in the Cups five of which came in the Champions League so he's not been anything like a a regular really at Hoffenheim I suppose the only question for me is whether or not he's best served by coming back or by uh, another loan spell where he plays more consistently Mm. Um, and I I genuinely think it probably depends on what happens in other areas of the squad this season I mean in terms of um, transfer business so you know if we lose Aaron Ramsey and if we lose Meza Ozil and mm. we don't 
significantly replace them, then obviously it'd be great to get him back. But if we do sign players in that sort of inside forward role, I wouldn't necessarily be adverse to sending him out again because it, it does look like he's still got quite a lot to learn, if not technically, then maybe just in terms of his discipline and in terms of the sort of professional side of the game. Maybe, but, you know, maybe being, you know, back at home and back at his, you know, the club he, he's grown up at will be a, will be a help there. And, mm. you know, I think we also have to as well consider the homegrown contingent for next season. That is something we've got to consider because Welbeck is going and Ramsey is going. Um, and we're a little bit short. Jenkinson will probably go. Um, so we are a little bit short in that regard. And yeah. I suspect that we might fill up a couple of those places with some of the, the younger players at the club. So, you know, I, I think just being a little bit balanced about what he's doing and what he's capable of doing at this point in his career is important. Yeah, a, a little follow-up on this. Is that Aguna who's... Uh, oh, the at is that Aguna. says, uh, Emma Smith-Rowe's gone on loan, not played a single game yet. Any idea what's going on with him? Uh, I think he's been injured, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's had a hip injury, went over there with a hip injury. And it was interesting to hear talk of him maybe staying there next season too. Mm. And I do wonder if the fact that he was injured going over there and they must have had some sort of time frame on his recovery. Like, they didn't bring in a lone player just to play in April and May, surely. You know? And, yeah. and what benefit really is it to him to go on loan there and play for just two months? So I do wonder if maybe that's one we could see extended into, into next season. I mean... I thought he did really well for us um, when he played this season. I thought he was not necessarily knocking on the door to play week in, week out, but certainly when we had Europa League and when we had Carling Cup and, and what have you to contend with, he showed that he can contribute and potentially was somebody who we could have had on the bench, you know, because he can make an impact in, in that attacking third. So mm. I'll wait and see, but it wouldn't surprise me if he spent a season out on loan next year as well. No, and as a rule, I quite like these loan moves. I mean, I sort of think you get a better player, in theory, back in 12 months than you would if you just sort of kept them around and they made the odd substitute appearance or the odd domestic cup appearance. Uh, I think, you know, regular football is incredibly beneficial to a young player's development. So I think it's sort of a a worthwhile sacrifice to not have them for a year, Mm. given what you might get back. And... Yeah, I think Smith-Rowe... Well, look, let's put it like this. I don't think Nelson and Smith-Rowe will be part of our first-team squad next season. No, I don't think so either. And I think probably Eddie Nketiah is another player who could do with a loan move at this Mm. point in his career. I suspect he would have gone out in January had Welbeck been available. You know, yeah. but as as he wasn't, there's just no backup to Lacazette or Aubameyang, and um, you know his his chances of playing are are fairly limited with us, unless there's you know an injury or a series of injuries. So mm. uh, he he is somebody who could go out. Okay, let's move on. And this is a question from Loris zero point one, who's at human underscore zero underscore one on Twitter. He says, "Is there a bit of revisionism about Ramsey's worth to the team? Looking at his entire career, he's definitely a legend. But when you look at his value to the team lately, it seems like he really started contributing again only once the question of his future was solved." I think that is 
fair, actually, in some respects. I think, you know, if you look at the first half of the season, when the club announced they wouldn't be uh, continuing negotiations to extend Ramsey's contract, I think the, the reaction of most people spoke volumes, which was like, well we can kind of see a tactical logic there. And in the early part of the season, he didn't really look like he fit in at all. Mm. I think the thing is that you can say, well, it's now that his future's settled, he is performing. You could also say, now that he understands the role and the demands of him, he is performing. And it may just be that it took him time to adjust to playing for a new manager, given that his entire senior career had effectively been under one coach Mm. in Arsene Wenger. Um, it's maybe not surprising that it took him time to adjust to someone else's methods and someone else's way of playing. Uh, So I think, you know, that's as much why he's now shining in this latter part of the season as anything. Uh, But I I do think... I understand the question in that I think when Ramsey... When we made the decision not to extend, there there were clearer reasons why. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think maybe as well. It's not necessarily a case of the manager or him getting used to the manager, but maybe the manager getting used to him mm. and knowing what kind of a player he's got and what kind of what kind of way he can use him. But, you know, we spoke about it in the last podcast that there does seem to be, generally speaking, a better understanding across the board, the players and the manager, and maybe the manager and the players too. So, so that could be part of it. And I do think the clarity has probably helped him. You know, his future is uh, sorted out. He knows what's going to happen. And I think, did I hear, could have been Tim Stillman making this point on the Arsenal Vision podcast, that he knows now that when he plays, he's got countless Juventus fans watching and looking at him in a way they've never looked at him before, really. You know, they'll be aware of who Aaron Ramsey is and they'll have seen him uh, score lots of great goals for Arsenal. But will they have watched him as closely as they're going to be watching him at the moment? So there's a chance, not necessarily for him to make a first impression, but for him to go to Juventus and show the fans there, this is the kind of player that I am. This is what I can do. This is what I'm capable of. Um, And maybe to give them an understanding of who he is before he actually arrives. So I think that could be a factor. Yeah, I'm sure that is. I'm sure that is a factor for him. And I think as well, he's benefiting from being rotated. You know, mm. how many times have we seen him break down with muscle injuries, perhaps due, due to being overplayed, but he's being rested almost every other game here and it's really benefiting him. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that as a rule, when I look at Ramsey's Arsenal career, I'm sort of in the camp that would say he certainly contributed some outstanding moments and for me it's those moments that make him a legend but I think for the most part we have struggled to incorporate him in a Mm. functional midfield and uh, you know I think some of the blame for that has to be apportioned with him as well as with the respective coaches Uh, but you know I'm certainly enjoying what he's doing in the team at the moment and I do feel like it's unfortunate that (laughs) just as he seems to be settling into the team and finding a role that works we are about to lose him. And yeah. I'm sure it's right at the top of Unai Emery and Arsenal's agenda to try and think how on earth are we going to replace this guy. Yeah, well, best of luck to them. And whoever our new <laughs> and technical Monchi. director. Good and luck, Monchi. Monchi. <laughs> Well done, Munchie. See how you see how you handle this one. <laughs> that was the, the the job they asked, the question they asked him in his interview, and he thought, do you know what, I don't fancy this. No, I can't do this, fuck this. <laughs> I'm going uh, back home where the sun is shining. 
Exactly. Why not? It's a lovely place to be. Um, this question comes from VS, who's at VS Arahia on Twitter. And, uh, well, I'll read the question. The question says, with Chelsea having the easier ro- route to the Europa League final, are people forgetting that finishing fourth doesn't mean we qualify for the Champions League if Chelsea win the Europa League? Mm. If so, do we finally have to pro- prioritise the league? And I ask the question because I think there is a lot of confusion abounding about the various implications of teams winning European competitions. As far as I understand it, that's not correct, the assertion in that question. No, I think it would be if United won the The Champions Champions League League and and finished outside the top four. And Chelsea won the Europa League and finished outside the top four. Yes. If we finished in fourth, then we wouldn't go into the Champions League because the maximum you can have is five clubs. That is correct. However, Manchester United have, what, drawn Barcelona? Yes. It does look as if Chelsea are going to struggle to get into the top four. But, you know, I think there are going to be some twists and turns along the way. You know, as difficult as it's been uh, for some of the clubs around us, I do expect uh, things to be difficult for us as well. You know, Manchester United lost to Wolves. So there's a there's a... a, a, a an indication of how difficult that game is going to be for us. Ever, uh, Everton beat Chelsea. We still have to play Everton. So we, we can't take anything for granted. So I suspect this is going to be one of those that lurches from one week to the next where somebody looks a clear favourite and then within two games it could all turn around again. And that could include us too. So um, I, I'm, not going to get, I'm not going to get worried about those kind of permutations um, when it comes to... Uh, you know, potentially missing out on the Champions League if this happens and if that happens at this point. I think we've got to get a bit further down the road. I am going to worry about it because that's my nature. But I I do have to say, (laughs) I I enjoyed the Champions League draw. I thought there were some some interesting ties. So obviously, Man U against Barcelona. I mean, I don't know if you saw Lionel Messi's hat-trick last night. Yes, I did. I did. And I actually have a question on that here and it comes from Joshua... Owide, who's at Joshua Owide, and he says, Burkamp versus Leicester or Messi versus Betis? I mean, I For think the greatest hat trick. Yeah. Well, I, I've got to say Burkamp. <laughs> well, yeah, we have to because he's, you know, he's an Arsenal player and it's a hat trick that, that connects with us. Even if I think there's something about the second goal that he scores that's kind of slightly spoiled because the goalkeeper gets a touch. Yeah. Slightly. The first goal and the third goal, amazing, immaculate, incredible. But the second goal, as good as it was, just slightly spoiled for me by the fact that uh, that the, the goalkeeper got a touch on it. But yeah, look, what Messi does and what he continues to do is extraordinary. And we have this debate all the time, don't we, about who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? Who, you know, who scores the most goals? Who makes the greatest contributions? Who's got the biggest trophy count? Um, and for me... It'll be messy every single time. They were showing a clip of how uh, the Betis fans were applauding him. Mm. And I'm not one for that kind of magnanimity usually in a football ground <laughs> where you're like, uh, I- I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to applaud the opposition because they played so well. It's usually a case of, fuck you, I can't stand the side of you. But I remember being at that game in Barcelona where where we scored first. Did we, Was it Bentner who scored first? Uh, I think Bennett did score in the new and, camp, yeah. Yeah, and that angered them. 
that just sparked Messi into life. I think he scored four goals that night. And it was unquestionably one of the greatest football displays I've ever seen, bearing in mind, of course, that we had Silvestre and we had Almunia and there were mitigating circumstances. He was just incredible. And it was a privilege, in a way, to watch him. Um, it wasn't nice or enjoyable to watch us lose the way that we did. But I remember mm-hmm. thinking at the time, this guy is just fucking something else. So for me, when it comes to to Messi versus Ronaldo, what Ronaldo's like a um, a really brilliant robot yeah who's very good at football and doing things that you didn't think were possible on a football pitch but Messi makes you feel things that Ronaldo doesn't and I'll just illustrate this to you this is I've got a couple of clips here of the Messi hat trick and they come from I was just watching the goals again I was just struck by the commentary on the goals. This is his first goal, the free kick. Um, I assume this is from some French TV channel. Um, this is what the commentary sounds like for the first goal. Le coup franc de Messi! Le ballon de Messi! Incroyable! Cette facilité pour lui, cette banalité! So that's the first goal, and they're just laughing. They're just yeah. laughing because it's so, so amazing. Um, I'm trying to load up the second one here. Here we go. And this is the this is the third goal. This is the hat-trick goal, which was just beautiful, wasn't it? The way that he, he took that ball first time, exchanged passes, and, and lobbed the keeper. You can't even call it a lob. It's a chip, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, from the edge of the box. This is the, the commentary for, for that goal. Ballon piqué de Leo Messi! I mean... That's what Messi makes you feel like when you watch him play. Ronaldo does not. You can kind of go, well, that's very impressive. Wow, he's really done something incredible there. But you don't get that sense of, it doesn't make make you feel that joy, I don't think. No, there's a kind of brutal effectiveness about it. Um, but it's not, it doesn't have the aesthetic quality to my mind of Messi's play. I mean, I do, I understand the sort of constant need to compare them, but I also think it's sort of a bit, you know, meaningless. You know, they're both absolutely brilliant footballers. No one's, you know, probably the, possibly the two greatest ever, I think. Uh, I think Messi, in my mind, is the greatest ever. I would agree with you because of that ability to do things that, that really look completely breathtaking and beautiful. And there's, an imagination in mm. his play. I mean, that last goal for the hat-trick, it's, it's like a sort of wedge shot, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it, the pass back to him, that he just manages to get this lift and dip and get it over the goalkeeper, who's barely off his line and under the crossbar. The arc on the shot, it's so extraordinary. To even attempt it, it's pretty breathtaking. And for it to come off... I mean, the goalkeeper well, wasn't really off his line. no. No, barely at all. Uh, and he manages to sort of dip and swing it into the far corner. I mean, it, it, as he matures as a player, he's getting, I mean, he's, you know, comfortably past 30 now. He doesn't have maybe quite the burst that he once did, but almost with it comes these other facets to his play, you know, the, the intricate passing and the movement and the ability to just sort of stop dead and have seemingly so much time on the ball. Mm. I would... Look, I think I've, I genuinely do, as a football fan, consider myself very fortunate to have seen Messi play. 
in the flesh and there aren't many opposition players I feel that way about. Very few, in fact. Yes, yes. Uh, amazing stuff. And if you haven't seen the, the hat-trick against Betis, uh, do uh, search out the goal clips because it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but still, Bergkamp versus Leicester for me, um, followed by, what's another good Arsenal hat-trick? Well, Henri versus Roma against. Oh, that's a great one. I was going to say Henri against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but yeah, against Roma, it's a fantastic hat trick. Um, there are probably more. I remember Ray Parler scoring a very good hat trick once. <laughs> yeah, uh, was it in the Champions League? I forget. That's true. Uh, uh, against the German side, if I recall correctly, Leverkusen or someone like that. Yeah. Um. I'm sure Ian Wright had plenty. I'm sure sure he had plenty. Just trying to remember them. Um, Nicholas Bentner against Porto, of course. Of course. One of the greats. One of the greats. Our good good friend. uh, Such intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of intelligence, uh, Freddie Dennis, who's at Arsenal Blogs, said, what did you make of Iwobi's nose-pinching taunt at the Wren player during the second leg? Um... What did I think of it? I think I thought of it at the time. I thought it was a bit like, uh. but then I saw somebody post a screenshot of an Iwobi response um, where he said the bloke was basically giving him uh, pelters. Um, you know, he's slanging him off or slanging his family off or something like that. So maybe it's just a bit childish, but fuck it. You know, if you're going to dish it out on a football pitch, expect to get a bit back. Yes, I would agree. I thought it was childish. I quite enjoyed how childish it was, if I'm honest with you. Like, it's so (laughs) sort of playground uh, and pathetic. There was a bit of sort of moral outrage from opposition fans around it, which I found Oh, was there? I didn't see that, thankfully. There was a bit of that and sort of like accusations that there was something maybe more to it that made it a bit sinister. I really think... But more like what? More... What could there be more? I, I mean... I almost don't want to credit some of the theories that I had in okay. my mentions from people with okay. reading them out of the podcast, but I think it really was just someone responding to provocation in a very childish fashion. I don't think it's something he should make a habit of, but I don't think he will. No. Uh, so, yeah, I thought ultimately fairly... It generally seems stuff. like a nice, polite lad, Iwobi, so if he's if he's reacting in that way... You didn't you know, know what's said to him. You exactly. Know I mean? so. He's not the provocateur, usually, uh, in situations like that. Um, so, fuck it. Storm. He was very riled up against Rand. He sort of kicked Did. somebody as well. So, I suspect there was a bit he going was on. Quite yeah. A lot of treatment. Yeah. There was a bit going on. All right. Okay. Here's a question from Paul Griffin, who says How embarrassing is it that Tottenham want to rename their station? Again, copying us, fucking fraggles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it does seem a bit odd. I mean, they're renaming a station that was already called White Hart Lane, I believe, to something like Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Station or something. I mean, I mean fine, let them do it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, I just don't care. Do you care? You don't live in London, so it's not going to affect you. No, it doesn't affect me in the slightest. It does seem a bit odd to change it from White Hart Lane, given that the stadium is still called... White Hart Lane, isn't it? No, I think they're going to sell the naming rights, apparently. Oh, are uh, they? Oh, it's going to be... Again, another way they're going to copy us. Fucking... All these groundbreaking things we did that they're, you know, they're copying. I know. Um, 
Who that is it going to be? It's going to be called the Nike Stadium, isn't it? Yes, I. That's what I had heard. I mean, I uh, find things like that a little bit weird. You know, the Nike Stadium, and well, all I of mean, a I, sudden, you know, you can't. No Arsenal fan can wear Nike. You just cut off every Arsenal fan in the world. Real problem for me. Yeah, because I'm wearing a lot of Air Maxes, so I don't know what. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, in my mind, I still sort of associate Nike with Arsenal from the 90s, you know, and, and beyond, in fact. I, I think of it mm. as a very closely affiliated brand. It's a bit like, um, it's a bit like a, we did a lot of tweets, actually, because sometimes we have um, a sponsorship deal on the podcast for yeah. Harry's Razors. And now they've gone full in with Harry Kane. And it's like, sorry, guys, can't do any more, any more sponsorship with you. If Harry Kane is your figurehead, you're not going to sell many fucking razors on an Arsenal podcast. Now, maybe that's a, a minor consideration for them because they look at where they think England player, England... Is he England captain? Is he? He is indeed. Wow. Wow. Uh, wow. I know. I know. That's why I'm desperately trying to apply for another passport. <laughs> it's nothing to do with Brexit. It's just I can't <laughs> cope with having Harry Kane as my international captain. Um, but yeah, I uh, yeah. I, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the Nike Stadium. I mean, fine. I mean, look, we people in glass stadiums can't throw stones. I guess about naming rights. I guess so. I guess so. Is uh, whose question is? Is it mine or yours? Or uh, I don't know. Uh, mine, I think. So this is from DB, who's at DLBZ, and DB asks: Given the increase in impact of Iwobi and Mickey, do you think we still need to strengthen on the wings, or should we double down and blow the lot on a centre back or two? Well, why not both? Why not because also... Because we don't have enough money. <laughs> and we don't have anyone to buy the players. We don't have a yeah. technical director. Oh, Manchi, why? <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, it's not a case of doubling down. We have to buy a centre-back. And I, I, I had this discussion with you a couple of weeks ago. I think we should buy one really, really, really good centre-back rather than mm. buy two decent centre-backs. Yeah, I think that we need to buy somebody around whom we can build our defence in the same way. I know people talk about Van Dijk at Liverpool a lot, and that's you know not necessarily a similar situation. But when you do have that one player at the centre of your defence who can make such a big difference, you know, I think Saul Campbell, for example, when he played for us, you know, you could put him alongside Colo Toure, but he could you know still hold a defence together alongside some you know slightly lesser players. So I think what we should prioritise when it comes to our defence this uh, summer is a player of that stature. But I also think we do need to bring in somebody um, in the attacking end of the pitch as well because Welbeck is going, Ramsey will be going. You know, I know he's not playing there much at the moment, but he can uh, fill a role in there. And we do have a need to maybe add a different kind of skill set mm. in the front three. Like a Wobi is great at linking the play. Mikatarian, sort of a number 10 who flits around and who can slot in on that right hand side. But, you know, somebody who's got pace and who can get crosses in, you know, more of an old fashioned winger. You could see how that would add another string to our bow. So, you know, I, I like what Iwobi and Mikatarian have been doing in the last uh, few weeks, maybe the last couple of months. But let's not forget that there were issues 
with both of those players not too long ago either, where people were saying, we really need to invest in this area of the pitch. It's great that they're doing more now, but let's not forget that. And let's try and make our squad as strong as possible next season. Yeah, and I think the January interest in Perisic and Carrasco, however sort of panicked that was, suggests that Emery would like a, a traditional wide player just as an option. You know, we know he's a manager who likes different approaches for different games, and that's not really something he's got at the moment. I mean, I think ideally, in a dream world, you find a player who is that, that sort of well bet replacement who can be an effective wide player with pace, but can also be your sort of cover mm. in the centre. Um, not an easy thing to find, but it would sort of do two jobs at once, so it might be handy. Uh, mm. Again, good luck, Munchie. Good luck, Munchie. <laughs> oh, Mr. Munchie. You came. You came, man. You came. <laughs> not take it. He didn't come, sadly. That's the problem. Munchie didn't come. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Last couple of quick ones. Um, Kyle Palmer wants to know, uh, given the wheels are falling off United and Chelsea and Tottenham's consistent failing at anything of note, at anything of note, I like it. What are your guys' favourite hilarious club collapse memories? I mean, it's hard to look beyond Tottenham, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, yeah. Oh, Munchie, you came and you brought them lasagna <laughs> and they shit their pants. Oh, Munchie. Oh, Munchie. The saddest thing about not getting Munchie is that that will never reverberate around the Emirates Stadium mm. as a charm. Um but there you go. Yeah, I think it's difficult to look past lasagna, isn't it? I mean, I know there have been a few contenders from Spurs, but the fact that they literally poisoned themselves on the eve <laughs> of the last game of the season, or reportedly were poisoned by Arsenal fans, is just too good to be true. It's incredible. Isn't it, it is. I did like the Mind the Gap year as well, though. That was a good one. That remember was they came? Good. Remember the three wankers? Mr. Mind, Mr. The, and Mr. Gap. Do you remember yes, they wore the t shirts? Yeah. Was it in our I do, stadium, actually? actually? I believe so. Let me just I see so. uh, if I can find them. Mind the Gap Wankers is what I'm Googling here. Um, okay, Mind the Gap Wanker Spurs. Surprised it doesn't come up for that. Okay, there they are. No, that's just some Wanker Spurs fans. It's not the Mind the Gap guys. Mind the Gap, if I take out the word wanker, maybe you'll find them. There they are. Take out the word wanker. It was a bit too descriptive. There they are. Mind the gap. Standing there in their T-shirts, black T-shirts with with kind of, um, what's that color? Dino rod pink. Mm. Not the way the dino rod van that comes to flush the, you know, the shit out of your block drain pipes. They always have those kind of luminous uh, colors on their vans. Yeah. Those yeah. guys. I enjoyed Hot those pink. guys. Yeah. They were good. That was the, that was AVB, wasn't it? Mind the gap. Yeah, the business. game on the day ended with a scoreline of five two in Arsenal's favours. Of course it did. Of course it did. Uh, that's a very very strong contender. I mean, you know, there were things to enjoy about. Uh, I mean, Liverpool with Cristambul and all that. That was quite funny. I think from Stephen Gerrard falling over. Was oh very yeah, funny. yeah. Well, it didn't really have anything to do with us though. No, but, you know, in terms of other teams' collapses, I enjoyed that one. Um, no, but, relate, I mean, it's, you know, it's Spurs, isn't it? Okay. And hopefully 2019 will be another fine vintage. Let's hope so. Uh, final one today from Mark Elisha, the uh, burning question of the day. What's your favourite pie filling? Mm. Uh, I, I guess I'd have to say humble. No, I think it would be... <laughs> um, favourite pie filling? Yeah. 
I don't know. I can't eat pork pies. Do you know about that? Well, I know what pork pies are, but I don't know about your inability to eat them. Why so can't you in, in eat my, them? In my youth, I was in a play uh, where my character had to eat pork pies, and I worked out that, like, in a month, I ate, like, several hundred pork pies, <laughs> but and I can't, I can't eat them again. Wow, they just, it's sort of like when you it, yeah. overdose on something and you just can't bear the idea of I it. Could, yeah, if I was to bite one, I mean, I, I would instantaneously feel ill. So they've been ruined for me. Right, I so, do like a good pork pie, like a you? proper one. Yeah, I remember getting one, I was in New York a few years back and we went to one of those down the cobble streets, little bakery pork shop, uh, baker shops and they had pork pies, which were amazing. Amazing. I can't... I'd go back there now to get one. They were that good. Um, but why were I you eating so many? I mean, it was because you were doing, like, a show in the afternoon, a matinee yeah, and an the, evening. The, literally, the character's, like, only distinguishing feature was that I decided that he was almost constantly eating pork pies. So, <laughs> so hang on, really, you decided this? I can't remember. I think I was... I think the director was like, maybe you're eating a pork pie in this scene. And in my desperation to sort of find a sort of hook for the character I was like maybe he's eating one in every scene <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so it was kind of self-inflicted yeah okay. um, try, what's your favourite pie Philip? steak and kidney it's hard to look past that I like steak and ale actually yeah that's good uh, that's good because I'm less hot on the kidney I'm not mad I, I do quite like kidneys but I'm just not it's one of those things that if nobody else likes them you don't tend to to use you know mm. What do you um, feel about, like, curries in a pie? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sort of, not uh, convinced. Right. I'm not convinced. Like, it's chicken curry classic, pie? Really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of... I made a really good uh, breakfast pie once, um, which I, I think the... Just cornflakes. No. Of, full of porridge. <laughs> you get your Cocoa Pops, mix them yeah. with some cornflakes. <laughs> but I did it with... Um, what did I do? Sausage, bacon, pudding. I'd like that. It, it's good. I think I'll put a link to it. If I can find it, I'll put a link to it on... Um, I'll put a link to it on the podcast today, if I can find it. But I remember at the time, those most esteemed of um, uh, pie makers, uh, Piebury Corner, mm. uh, who do such amazing pies there on uh, Holloway Road. And they have one in King's Cross now as well, I think. Yeah, they do. Um, they were impressed by my breakfast pie. So if I can find the images that I put together of the breakfast pie, it was really quite good, I have to say. Um, but yeah, steak and kidney for me, it's got to have I meat like in a, it, doesn't it? Yeah, I like a game pie, actually. Um, With what, like partridge and quail? And yeah, yeah, I think and... all that stuff, yeah. All that sort of like odd stuff that posh people hunt. I, I I like that in a pie. <laughs> I like a pie with bullets in it. Yeah. Um, uh, that's quite tasty, I think. Oh, yes. I have it here. I have it here. I'll send it through to you on the chat thing. You can have a look at my... Okay. It has the process of how I make the pie and everything, if you can see. Is it you your go, own recipe? Yeah, it's my own recipe. And you haven't been approached by any sort of major chefs to kind of sell them this? No, I haven't, I haven't uh, licensed it or franchised it yet, but you can have a look here from oh, the top wow. down. You've got to put this on the blog. People are going to lose their mind over this. Yeah, it's even got baked beans in it and everything. It looks absolutely delicious. They look like great quality sausages. Yeah, they're good sausages. 
good sausages and good pie crust. That's the important part. Wow. It's there. It's good. You'd eat that, wouldn't you? I would. I would definitely 100% eat that. It looks okay. absolutely delicious. Cool. That's, that might be my favourite pie, to be honest. I'll make you one one day. How about that? Okay, lovely. Right. And I'll eat it live on the podcast. <laughs> Just spend the first 15 minutes you're, oh, 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 yeah. scoffing a pie. Great <laughs> stuff. All right, well, look, I think we've done all right, considering there's been no Arsenal. Um, yeah. And, uh, look, I'll have a podcast for you of some description on Friday as well, even though there is no Arsenal. We'll figure something out. Make sure there's another podcast. Watch out for some new Patreon stuff dropping this week as well. If you want to join up, it's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. It costs a five or a month, uh, five euros, that is, and uh, you do pay some VAT if you're in the EU, but if you're not in the EU, you don't pay any VAT. You get lots of extra content, and as I said, there's some new podcasts coming this week, so keep an eye out for that. We'll catch you on the next one. Until then. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.